My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about the importance of music in a Christian's life. Our church was blessed not long ago in that we had Bill Gaither and the Gaither Vocal Band to come and lead us in a wonderful night of worship. And on the Sunday morning before their concert on that Sunday night, I wanted to preach a sermon on music since that was kind of the theme and the emphasis that our church was having on that particular day. And so the sermon that we're going to be hearing today is, uh, is from that Sunday morning, and I hope that it will be a blessing to you. As I was thinking about what to speak about today, I thought, you know, with the Gaithers coming in tonight and with what an important role music plays here at First Baptist Church all the time. By the way, don't you appreciate all the, those who lead us in music each and every week? I mean, they do. I would say most weeks they do a wonderful job. No, I'm just kidding. Every week they do a wonderful job. But I thought, you know, I want to preach a sermon about the role of music in the life of a Christian. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the role of music in your life, but I have thought a great deal about that in my own life. In fact, yesterday, I made a list of the greatest influences on my life. I'm 47 years old, and so all 47 years of my life, the greatest influences. And the first greatest influence on my life would be the same as would be on your list, and that is God himself. And when I say God, I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus Christ, His impact on my life, nothing is as important to, that, uh, to me as that. The second greatest influence on my life has been the Bible, the Word of God. Reading it, hearing it preached, I mean, there's nothing like the Bible. You know, the book we gave you back in December, The Hiding His Word in Our Heart, with over 550 Bible verses in it, we're in the process now of redoing that and kind of further editing that. And we found out from our printer that we can add eight pages on to the 48-page book we gave you. So we're going to have a 56-page book. It'll be well over 600 and well over 600 verses that we'll have available in a few months, just so that we can have more things in your hands where you can open it and you can just read Bible verses. There's, no, there's nothing like the Bible. And then the third greatest influence on my life has been people. The people whom God has placed in my life, certainly my family, uh, many of you who have had such an impact on my life. I think about pastors, many of them I know personally, many of them I've never met. I only have read their books. I hear their sermons on the radio or television, but they have had an incredible impact on my life. Some of them are now in heaven, many of them still serving God here on earth, but they've been like bright lights for me that have made my path brighter and made my life better. And so the third greatest influence on my life have been the people whom God has placed in my life. And then as I was thinking about the fourth greatest influence on my life, I wrote down music because music has had an incredible 
influence on my life. I like music. There's something about music that I just love. I always have since the time I was a kid. I was, of course, raised in a Christian home, raised in the church. When I was about six or seven years old, I sang my first and my last solo. Now, I don't know how to interpret that, but I was never asked to sing another one, but I still remember that one. And uh, I was going to sing it to you today, but I thought I might get booed off the platform if I thought, we want Gaither, we want Gaither, so I'm not going to do that. But I remember the words, it says, I am a promise, I am a possibility, I am a promise with a capital P, I am a great big bundle of potentiality. And I remember when I sang it, I really emphasized potentiality, and that's probably why I never was asked to sing again. So, but I love that song. When I, when I got to be in high school, our church had a youth choir, and we used to travel all over everywhere in, in the summers, and we would have youth choir tours. And uh, our minister of music, he never asked me to sing a solo, but he asked me if I would introduce a song one time. He gave me a little paragraph to memorize. And he said, John, I want you to memorize this, and you'll get up when it's your time and say this, and then you'll be introducing a song called Jesus Never Fails. And so I memorized my part, and I did that, and then we all sang Jesus Never Fails. That's been a long time ago, but I can still remember some of the words to that song. And there have been lots of times in my life that I've, rem- I've held on to that, whatever I'm going through. Jesus Never Fails. And then when I got into college and God called me into the ministry and I started preaching and God started opening doors for me to preach all across Central Texas and East Texas, some in South Texas and even in West Texas and in other places and other states. And a lot of the churches I sang in, or I didn't sing, that I preached in were small country churches back then. There were some other larger city churches, but most of them were those small country churches. And in those churches, we used to sing those songs like uh, Unclouded Day, I'll Meet You by the River. Uh, till the storm passes by. Some of you remember those songs. I was going to say some of you who are old, but that wouldn't be nice. So some of you who like older music will remember those songs. And I, I love those songs. And then I like the newer songs. I know there are some people who say, I just want the old hymns. And if we can't have the old hymns, I don't feel like I've been to church. And then there's another group out there that says, I don't really want that. I want the new way of singing, the new, more contemporary, the wor- what they would call the purely worship type. And I love that too. But you know, for me, it never has been one or the other because for me, the style never has been the main thing. The main thing is the substance. And the way I feel about it is if a song's about Jesus, I'm glad to sing it. And uh, so I never have got into it. I just like them both. I, I, I like all kinds of music. But some of the new songs that we now sing, Glorious Day, Jesus Messiah, Holy Spirit, You Are Welcome Here. And then one of the neatest things I think that is happening in the world of music today is the new writers are taking some of these old songs and they're making them sound more modern and more contemporary. Some of the old, even invitation hymns like Just As I Am or the one we'll sing today, Lord, I Need you. That's an old hymn that has been rewritten and new music has been put to it. So it sounds modern, but the words have actually been around for a long time. So there's something about music that has had a profound influence on my life, and I'm sure it has on your life as well. Now, having said that, if you'll open your Bibles today to the book of Acts in chapter number 16, I want to show you one of the most interesting stories in all the Bible about singing about music. 
and about the impact that this singing had on the people who were listening to it. The background of the story is this. The Apostle Paul had been called by God to go to lots of different places and tell people how to be saved. And so as you study the life and the missionary journeys of Paul, he would go to this city, he would go to this town, he would go to this place, he would share Christ, he would start churches, and he developed relationships with these people he had led to the Lord. In time, the Apostle Paul ended up writing 13 letters in the New Testament. He is by far the greatest and most influential Christian who ever lived. Nobody would even be second or third on that list. On this particular occasion, Paul is traveling on his second missionary journey. He had three journeys, his second missionary journey, and he's traveling with a man named Silas. And so Paul and Silas are the missionary team. And on this particular occasion, they have arrived in a town, a little city uh, called Philippi. And when they got to Philippi, they did what they had done everywhere else. They're preaching. They're sharing Christ. And people are being saved. Well, as they're doing this, there are some people living in Philippi who did not like their message. They didn't appreciate what Paul and Silas were doing. And so they arrested them. And they locked them up in jail. Some of us have been to Philippi. And we've seen this jail that, that is supposedly and historically we're told where Paul and Silas would have been locked up. They were put in this jail, not only in the jail, they were put in the back of the jail and they were chained hand and foot. And there they were being punished because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what you would have been doing if you had been Paul and Silas. I don't really know what I would have been doing. I'm afraid that I might have been complaining to God. And I might have been saying, God, how could you have let this happen? I've surrendered my life to you. I've left my home. I've left my family. I'm in a place I don't even know anything about. I'm telling people how to be saved. I would think that you would bless my efforts. And now you've allowed me to be arrested. And here we are in this prison, in the inner part of this prison. It's dark. There's no air. I mean, it's just horrible. God, why would you have let this happen? Well, that's not what Paul was doing, and that's not what Silas were doing. Instead of complaining, they were, in fact, praising God. Now, look in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 25. The Bible says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Well, you better believe they were listening because nobody else in that prison was singing praises to God. They were all complaining and lamenting their, what they were going through. Paul and Silas praising God. Those old hymns, those old songs they had learned on, in, in a happier, easier time of their life. Now they're singing those songs and it's getting the attention of everybody around. And so with that background today, I want to make three statements about music and about singing. And the, the thing I'm really trying to stress today and the question I want to just really make clear today is simply this question. Is there a song in your heart? Is there a song in your heart? The, the sermon is not so much Do you like to sing? Are you a good singer? Do you have a pretty voice? I mean, hey, there are few people who have great singing voices. Our choir does. Some of you do. I don't have a great singing voice. I'm what they call a prison singer. I'm behind several bars, and I've lost the key. So I don't have a great voice, but I like to sing. 
And uh, sometimes I sing out loud. Sometimes I sing in my heart. I mean, I, I like singing. But you know, if you think about it, if you have a song in your heart, it would be possible to have a song in your heart and never actually vocalize that song. It's just in your heart. At the same time, it would be possible to vocalize and verbalize a song because it's the proper thing to do in church. You're singing a song with your mouth, and yet you don't have a song in your heart. And so today, I'm not talking about that verbal or vocal song. I'm talking about, and I'm asking you today, is there a song in your heart? Is there joy in your heart? I can look into people's eyes, and I can tell whether there's a song in that person's heart. You know, the old saying says that the eyes are the windows to the soul. You can look in somebody's eyes and tell whether they're happy, whether they're joyful, or whether their heart is heavy, or they may be going through a difficult time. But God wants us to have a song in our heart. Whether it comes out or not, it's a whole other thing. But he wants it to be in our heart. And I'll tell you this, friend. If you have a song in your heart, it will come out. It may not come out in singing, but it will come out in smiling. It will come out in encouraging. It will come out in your attitude. It will come out in all kinds of positive ways. So that said, I want to give you three thoughts today about songs. First of all, songs often originate in the strangest of places. They originate in the strangest of places. Again, Paul and Silas were in jail. They were in prison, and yet from that prison cell, they began to sing and they began to praise God. And sometimes that's how it is with us. We're going through all kinds of different difficulties in life, and yet a song develops, and uh, it originates in those strange places. One of the greatest things you can do if you're looking for a new hobby and you want to do a little reading, you can do it online or you can buy a book where you can get the history or the background to most every song that has ever been written. Let me say this. Every song that has been written has a story behind it. I mean, there's a reason the writer wrote that song. More than likely, they were going through something in their life and God had done a work in their heart and had done something so great or so wonderful that they said, you know, what I want to do is put that into music. I want to put a song in that. And so, so some of these songs that we sing, I mean, if we, the songs themselves are wonderful. And even if you don't know the background, that's okay. But if we can learn some of the background, it gives the songs a depth and an added meaning that we wouldn't know any other way. Now, let me give you a kind of, kind of an example of what I'm saying. Forty years ago, there was a man named George Beverly Shea, and this man was attending Bible school in in Ontario, Canada. He loved music, and he had a beautiful singing voice. After additional training, he moved to New York City, and he was given an audition at one of the radio stations, and he was offered a lucrative contract. He asked the radio station if he could please sing Christian music, gospel songs, They said to him, it might be okay for you to occasionally sing a Christian song, but this is a secular radio station, and so you're going to need to sing the most popular songs of the day. That's why people listen to this music. And so he was faced with a decision. Will I take the good job? Will I make all this money? 
Even if I'm not getting to sing Christian songs, or will I not do that? Well, while he was struggling with this, his mother was praying for him because his mother sensed that God had a calling on his life, that God was calling and leading him into the ministry. And so one Saturday night, George Beverly Shea was still living at home at this time. She placed a poem on the piano. In the morning, he went to the piano, as was his custom, to play some tunes, and he read the poem. And when he read the poem, God began to speak to him through that poem. Now, it wasn't a song. It was just a poem. But God began to speak to him through the poem that his mother had left. And when he read the poem, it was like God said to him, this is my word to you. You need to forego the contract with the secular station. You need to stay true to your call to sing Christian music and don't worry about the money and don't worry about fame and don't worry about the future. Just follow me and I'll take care of all that. And he was so moved by this whole experience that he put a tune to this poem and sometimes we sing it in the church now and here's what it says. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. And so the poem had been written, but he gave music to it, and he surrendered his life to the ministry. It wasn't long after that that he moved to Chicago to work for a Christian radio station there. While he was in Chicago, he met Billy Graham. The rest, as they say, is history. He became Billy Graham's singer, soloist for all those years, traveled the world, and uh, God gave him the desires of his heart. He sang to far more people with Billy Graham than he ever would have at that secular station in New York. Interesting story about George Beverly Shea. He lived to be about 110 years old. And those who lived near him in North Carolina said the only bad habit he developed in his latter years, he used to drive down those North Carolina mountains way too fast. And the cops would pull him over and say, Mr. Shea, you got to slow it down, man. You're 110 years old. They felt, they, did, they felt guilty to give him a ticket at that age, but they just kept warning him. But it's an example of a song that uh, we sing that has a tremendous story behind it. How about this story? There was a missionary named Reverend Scott, and he served in India. One day he saw, a street, he saw on the street a man of so strange an appearance that he inquired about him, and he learned that he belonged to a wild mountain tribe among whom Christ had never been preached. Mr. Scott prayed over the matter, and he decided to visit that tribe. As soon as he reached their mountain home, he fell in with a savage band who were on a war exposition. Expedition. They seized him and they pointed their spears at his heart. At once the missionary drew out his violin that he always carried with him and he began to play and to sing in their native language the song that many of us know, All Hell the Power of Jesus' Name. He's playing that on his violin, singing it in their language. He closed his eyes, expecting death at any moment. When he reached the third stanza, as nothing had happened yet, he opened his eyes and was amazed to see that the spears had fallen from the hands of the savages and big tears were in their eyes. They invited Reverend Scott to their homes, and he spent two and a half years among them, winning many of them to Christ. Now, here are the words to that third stanza. God used this verse. Now, this song had already been written. He's just singing a song, but he's singing it in terribly adverse situations, and here's what he's saying. 
Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. And God used those words to soften those uh, people's hearts and his life was spared and many of them were saved. And then I read this story that I had, I had never read before. There was a lady who her name was Louisa Steed. Out of one of her darkest hours, she wrote a song that has become famous now in church history, and she wrote it after the drowning of her husband. Miss Steed was born in England. She felt the call of God upon her life for missionary service. She arrived in America in 1871. In 1875, she married Mr. Steed, and to this union was born one daughter named Lily. When the child was four years of age, the family decided one day to enjoy the sunny beach at Long Island uh, there in New York. While eating their picnic lunch, they suddenly heard cries of help and spotted a drowning boy in the sea. Mr. Steed charged into the water. As often happens, however, the struggling boy pulled his rescuer under the water with him, and both drowned before the terrified eyes of their family members. And out of her struggle with God during the ensuing days, she penned these words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Now, we come to church sometime and sing that song, but we don't know that it was written by a lady who had been through what she had gone through. What I'm saying is songs sometimes originate in the strangest of places. Many of you are familiar with a lady named Fanny Crosby. She was a became a famous songwriter in the day in which she lived when she was a little girl. She lost her sight. She became blind. And the limitations that that caused her and the challenges that that caused her. Many of the songs we sing today, for example, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. She, she is partly responsible for that song. The thing that's interesting about that is for many years in her life, she didn't have any assurance of her salvation. And finally, she got that settled. And after she did, now we have the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. On another occasion, she tells about a story when she was desperately in need of $5. Now think about this. She's blind. She can't work. She has no source of income. She's dependent on others to a large extent anyway. And so she needed $5 and had no idea where she could obtain it. So she did what she would normally do in a situation like that. She began to pray about the matter. She prayed about everything. And she said, Lord, I need $5. And I don't know who to get it from or how I could ever have it, but I've got a need and I need $5. A few minutes later, a stranger appeared at her door, knocked on the door and said, I know this is going to sound strange, but I just had a feeling to bring you $5. Fanny Crosby said, I had no way of accounting for this except to believe that God had put it into the heart of this good man to bring me the money. My first thought was that it is so wonderful the way the Lord leads me that I should write a song about it. And so she did. And sometimes we sing it today. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. And so she prayed for $5. She got her $5 and the Christian community got a great song that we've been singing for about 100 years. Well, it's so very true. Sometimes songs come from the most unusual places. Paul and Silas were in prison, had every reason, humanly speaking, to complain or to be upset. But there they were singing praises to God even at midnight. 
The psalmist said, you have put a song in my heart. And that's what God wants to do for his children. He wants to give us a song in the night. He wants to give us a joy in our heart that can only come from him. Now today, as you have listened to this message, that may be exactly what you need. You need a song in your heart. Your circumstances are difficult. You feel like you have lost all hope. You've got nothing to sing about. Maybe things have just gone haywire for you in your life, maybe physically or in a relationship or financially or at work or in some other way. And you've just found yourself confused and depressed and wondering where in the world is God? Well, you may never have thought about it like this, but you're actually a candidate for uh, the type person that God would want to give a song, place a song in your heart. Because it is when we're in these situations that God does his greatest work in our hearts. Now, you may be wondering, well, how in the world is God going to give me a song in my heart when I'm down in, in the dumps like I am right now? Well, friend, if you will focus on the presence of God in your life, if you will focus on Jesus, don't focus on your problem. Don't focus on what you've lost. Don't focus on what's wrong in your life. Focus on what you still have. Focus on what's right. Focus on Jesus. And if you will focus on Him, in time, He will give you a song in your heart. He'll restore to you the joy of your salvation. Thanks for listening today to Peace by Believing. Hope you have a great week. We'll look forward to being with you next time.